today on the evangelist podcast angry evangelism the evangelists podcast encouragement to speak life to a needy world with glenn scrivener and andy brinkley You're listening to the Evangelist podcast. I'm Andy Brinkley. I'm here with Glenn Scrivener, and we're going to talk about angry evangelism. Angry Glenn. evangelism. Did you yes. know I did a Google search for angry evangelism? Did you? <laughs> you were the number one slot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the internet's number one angry evangelist. Your go-to source <laughs> for angry evangelism. Oh, I need to write a post on placid evangelism. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> Contented evangelism. Um, I guess that's because of, uh, like, I wrote a blog post on it recently yes. yeah and that's what it's linking to yeah yes. we, we, you've been promising yes well, we've been promising that uh we would talk about this yes. for a few weeks now to yes. we've been off doing university missions yes i'm not only an angry evangelist i'm a forgetful evangelist <laughs> promise breaking evangelist i don't know so angry evangelism glenn yes what is it what is it and how do we do it no um <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting. When I do evangelism training, I sort of ask people to picture an evangelist for me. Mm. And, uh, and you know, they yell out sort of word associations. And it usually is, you know, some angry guy with a megaphone and a placard yeah. and that sort of thing. And, and they, they use these, like, horrible adjectives to describe evangelists, even though I've told them I am one. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't stop them from saying, they're dreadful, horrible people. Anyway, so I think actually anger and evangelism do go together in the popular imagination, which is very unfortunate, yeah. especially especially when you just deconstruct the words. Like, uh, you, like what, what does a, an evangelist mean? What is the evangel? Telling the good news. The good news, exactly. The evangel is the good news. Like, an angry teller of good news. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yay! Oh, yay! <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You've just won the lottery! <laughs> um... That's for like yeah, we're meant to be publishers of good news, and yet, in the popular imagination, uh, there is an association with anger there, mm. and and I'm the sort of person who I don't go out with a megaphone, but I I uh, don't mind going out onto the street. I believe in doing it, um, so I'm not um, afraid to go out and share my faith with people on the streets. Mm. Um, and yet what I so often find, I often swing between these two different um, extremes. On the one hand, I just think, well, everyone just needs to get out there and just share their faith and for goodness sakes, and I'll just drag anyone kicking and screaming onto the streets to share their faith. But then I do that, and often in these situations you get paired up with somebody else, and and I've often been in the situation of thinking, oh, I think I want to drag them back off the streets now. <laughs> because my partner in crime is like getting angry and i can spot them getting angry mm. and the non-christian can spot them getting angry and it, it tends to happen you know when if the you know you're getting into conversation with a non-christian and for instance they just seem to be completely unconcerned about their soul mm. as most non-christians are you know just completely they haven't thought about where they're going when they die they haven't thought about whether they're friends with god or not or whether that matters and and absolutely nonplussed about it mm. um now, to some Christians, they get really agitated about that. Well, you, you've got to be thinking about this. What if, what, what if a bus? What if that bus right there hit you? You know, yeah. and and so you know, you turn up the heat on them like that, or you know, and and then what happens when the non-Christian actually has non-Christian views on things, yeah. <laughs> like um, who happens to have a different kind of morality to yours? 
the temerity to have a different view. Um, well, what do you expect? You're talking to a non-Christian. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. And Christians get agitated. Yeah, and particularly, you know, if they've got a relatively close relationship, you know, one person gets really angry with the other. You've never given yourself to Christ yet. Yes. <laughs> you haven't done it yet. <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> Why haven't you? Yeah. So, and and... And and that's even before they might, you know, they might have the the gall to to doubt, you know, some of the gospel events. And yeah. that's even that's even, you know, before anyone has mentioned, well, I've never really understood about God and suffering, or what about genocide in the yeah. Old Testament, or did Jesus really rise from the dead? That's that's even before they've asked those questions. We're mm. getting angry. But then when people ask those questions, you know, evangelists can can get angry. Mm. Why do you think that is? I mean, a Christian's motivation should be because they want to bring that person to christ what, what what's going on when someone gets angry yeah i don't know what do you think? <laughs> should we end there I don't know. just don't do it <laughs> yeah just just take I mean, a, take a I chill suppose, pill you know it could be the frustration of i can see it so clearly and they can't yes and sometimes like i i asked a similar question recently and somebody said well some people's frustration comes across as angry but mm. they're not angry they're just frustrated yeah that the person can't see what they see. And I think there is truth to that. But I also think frustrated, in inverted commas, can be a convenient kind of substitute word for angry. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm not angry, I'm just frustrated. <laughs> um, but there, there, there is that sense, you know, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, mm. says 2 Corinthians 4. And 4. they can't come. They cannot see the light of the glory of yeah. the gospel of Christ. Unless they're drawn. Um, and that's frustrating. Yeah. Goodness. You know, you're saying, see, see Jesus, and they've got a massive veil yeah. in front of their face. That's frustrating. Um, but do we really believe that verse? Or do we think that the non-Christian has pulled the veil and, and mm. you know... Um, and there is, you know, it, it's a mixture. It's a mixture. They are imprisoned, but they also love their imprisonment. Mm. They are blind, but they also don't seek the light. Mm. And and there is that that dual thing going on with the non-Christian. But do we really believe that that it's this spiritual battle that is beyond the powers of the flesh? Mm. That it's really just going to take God saying, "Let light shine out of darkness." Mm. Two Corinthians four verse six. If we really believe that and that, that it's in God's hands, then hopefully it won't be the human frustration of me and the powers of the flesh yeah. trying to make it happen. Yeah. So I think some, some of the anger is that. It's the frustration that comes from trusting to the flesh mm. to do what only the spirit can do. Yeah. I think that's part of it. And I think part of it also is conceiving of the big job as getting them to make a decision. Yeah. There is a decision they need to make for Jesus. And I've made the decision. And it was simple. You know, I got down on my knees and I asked Jesus into my life. And that was the decision I made. And now I've made that decision. And now you need to make that decision. And if you're not making that decision, well, why not, for goodness sakes? Yeah. Um, and so it's sort of conceiving that the, the real line that we draw is a line between making a decision for Jesus and not yet having made a decision for yeah. Jesus. And we're just in the club or not. in the club or not in the club. And, and there's a right sense in which, yeah, there are people who are in Christ and people who are outside of Christ. Mm. And that, that is, um, you know, the, the thickest, most 
vital line in the universe. Mm. You know, are you in Christ or are you not? That's that's a massive thing. But to, but to conceive of it as have you made a decision for Jesus yet mm. or not is a slightly different line to draw. And sometimes I sense that that's what we've got in our thinking, that we want to get people to make a decision for Jesus and and. and and so when we meet people who have not yet, we're kind of like, well, why not? You need to do this. Mm. Um, and at that point, we are considering ourselves to be much superior because yeah. we're on the right side of the line and they are much inferior mm. because they're on the wrong side of the line. And I've, I even sense this at, at sort of Christmas and Easter services, um, especially in an Anglican setting where um, – you get loads of people who are not just CRV, they're CND, Christmas and Easter, <laughs> and that's it. They come to church twice a year, CND. Yeah. And there can be that sense of, you know, of the preacher saying, and where were you the other 50 Sundays of the year? Hmm? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Even though you don't say it out loud, you, know, you yeah. might be thinking it. And, and again, it's that sense of, you know, I've, I've, made the, I've crossed the line of decision and you need to cross the line of decision. And I just wonder, and this is what the blog post is about, and this is what my thinking has been um, about. I wonder whether the line we need to draw is not so much between us and them, mm. between we've made a decision, you haven't. The real line that there is, is heaven and earth. Mm. The real line that there is, is Jesus and the rest of us. The real life there is, is mm. the righteous one and sinners. And if we draw the line there, which side am I on? I'm on the same side as the non-Christian. Mm. And just drilling that into my heart that, you know, it's it's often encapsulated in that phrase, isn't it? Uh, evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Mm. Where is the line? The line is between the bread and the beggars. Which, line, which side of the line am I on? Yeah. I'm on the side of the beggar. I'm on the same side yeah. as the non-Christian I'm talking to. Yeah, and it's it's almost like I, you know, imagine a terrace of houses, and yes. you know you're in number one, and it's yes. it's it's been on fire, and you've escaped. Yeah, <laughs> and you go round, you know, and you, yeah. you go up to number, yeah, uh, you know, the next number where the fire is, and you, yeah, you know, rather than shout angrily at them, you haven't got out of your house yet. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. You run in, and you, yeah. you know, you drag them from the flames, and you sort of, yeah, you know, yeah. try and save them. Yeah. Um, Rather than just sort of, you know, with a megaphone, or order them. And you haven't put smoke detectors. <laughs> yeah, to, you are foolish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now is not the time to lecture them about smoke detectors. And, you know, you could be frustrated if, you know, yeah. if the resident in number seven is like not bothered because match of the day's on. That's right. Like you could, you could get frustrated at that. But now is not the time to lecture them about, yeah. <laughs> about you know, smoking in bed or whatever. And so the, so the real line is between heaven and earth, between mm. righteousness and sinners, um, between Jesus and the rest of humanity. Mm. And when the line is drawn there, I'm on the same side as the non-Christian. And therefore, what I say to people is, is I, at that stage, I'm, I'm addressing the children of Adam in my evangelism mm. and including myself among the number of the yeah. children of Adam. I, but so often what I want to do is talk about the children of Abraham and the rest. Mm. I'm a member of the children of Abraham, and we're in this spiritual community, and you're in the heathen. And, and yeah. the, But I think, I think both in my preaching and in one-to-one -one evangelism, I need to be thinking, I'm a child of Adam, you're a child of Adam. Let me apply the scriptures 
to the problems of the children of Adam. Mm. And let me put my own hand up and say, I struggle with these problems. I don't have an answer to death. I don't have an answer to the, you know, the sins of my own heart. I don't have an answer to the frustration of living in this broken world. And neither do you, my friend. But you approach them on the same footing. And, and I think that then cuts away the superiority that is at the heart of angry evangelism, mm. I think. Often the church is accused of being hypocritical. Yes. And uh, in a sense, there is a rightness that the person preaching... <laughs> yes. You know, it's just as much a sinner as, as the rest. It's not supposed to be about, you know, come up to our level. <laughs> yes, um, exactly. You know, we're all in the boat together and, and Christ has come to save us all. Yeah, exactly. And so getting that real sense of the bondage of the will, that real sense of our lostness in Adam, mm. that real sense of original sin, that real sense of, yeah, we're all in the same boat together. I did a talk on hypocrisy at Reading University recently, and, and my title was The Church is Full of Hypocrites. And I said, no, the church is full of sinners. Mm. You know the difference, right? <laughs> a hypocrite is a sinner who denies it. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> a sinner is just a sinner who admits it. You know, yeah. and, that, and that's what church is meant to be, yeah. a place where you drop the mask uh, and, and, and you say, at, and at that point... You're appearing to the non-Christian not as better than them, but as worse mm. than them. Because you're, you're someone who can admit to their sin. Mm. And um, so, yeah, because you're admitting to your own sin, hopefully that then undercuts your self-righteousness, which mm. again is a massive cause of anger. Um, it's really interesting doing a, a, a word study on, on anger in the Bible. And you'll see an, a number of, of, of angry uh, characters in the Bible. Three three in particular spring to mind. You get um, Cain. Why is he angry? What, what's, what's wrong with my offering? What's wrong with my vegetables that I'm offering to God? You know, Abel's offering the first, firstborn of the, mm. of, the, of the flock. And, and, and it's just this self-righteousness. Why, isn't, why aren't I being accepted because of my, my own goodness? And he gets furious, furious enough to murder. Then you go to Saul. And again, like Saul's like, you know, why should I have to wait for Samuel? And why, you know, why can't I do things the way I want to do things? And, and just he gets furiously angry and then sullen. And, um, or you think of Jonah. Again, just, you know, he's so much better than the, the Ninevites, you know? I mean, talk about someone who thinks he's on the other side of the line <laughs> to the Ninevites. And just the furious anger that he gets to in, uh, he's angry enough to die in Jonah chapter four. And, and, I think Jonah chapter four is there to basically say Jonah is he's almost more miserable than the than the Ninevites. You know, he's like it's a different kind of sin, but it's a it's a such an ugly sin and sort of you know, the the greatest evangelist of the Old Testament, you know, Jonah, um seeing, you know, well over a hundred thousand saved, this greatest evangelist is is shown to be angry and shown to be sullen and self-righteous, and largely because he just thinks of himself on, on a different plane mm. to the Ninevites. And the whole of the story brings him down um, to, to basically say, you are just as needy. Um, should I not have had compassion on the Ninevites, mm. Jonah? And haven't I just had compassion on you, Jonah? This is not about your deservingness. Mm. So... Yeah, again, I, I think these character studies in anger are given to us to to reveal to us the self-righteousness in our own hearts. And I think Jonah's um, 
example in particular is given to us to say angry evangelism is ugly, ugly, ugly. It's prevalent. You know, the most the most popular, the most successful evangelist in the Old Covenant mm. um, was an angry, angry man. But don't be like Jonah. Yeah. Okay, Glenn. I mean, you know, when we're preaching the gospel, how do we bring in the judgment, the wrath of God and everything? Yeah. Without getting angry, you know, without portraying right. it as a yeah. as an angry yeah, because wrath means anger, right? Yeah, so and, God gets angry, and it says in your post, you know, Romans one eighteen. Yes, but the wrath of God is being revealed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is being revealed right now. So Romans chapter one, mm. um, yeah, the wrath of God is being revealed. Psalm eleven, you know, God gets angry every day. Yeah, right. Um, John three verse eighteen. Um, that we stand condemned already mm. when we do not believe in the name of God's one and only Son. John 3, verse 36, God's wrath remains on those outside of Christ. Mm. So, like, all these things talk about God's anger as a present tense reality, the wrath of God as a present tense reality, as a way of saying, look, you don't want to get stuck in this forever, do you? Mm. But what's interesting about things like Romans 1 is the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven, and it's being revealed in, in the way in which God hands humanity over to its sinful desires mm. and so it's happening now like like we're we're living with the consequences of the wrath of god being revealed from heaven right now and so there's a deep sense in which here i am standing with the non-christian and in one sense i'm i'm in the same boat um this wrath of god is being revealed from heaven right now you know i am not destined for wrath not anymore in christ you know i i am kept safe christ took the wrath on the cross i never have to um, but right now I'm living in this broken world. I'm perishing. I'm dying. I'm a sinner. Um, I'm working, uh, working within a world that is subjected to frustration and in which, you know, the wrath of God is at work. Um, and so I'm talking about that all the time. But actually, because God has wrath and God gets angry, I can love you. So... You know, it's very interesting. Uh, Miroslav Volf is uh, a theologian coming out of the Balkans. And so, you know, he's grown up within families in which there's been just the most horrendous um, fighting between Muslims and Christians, you know, largely, and, and the, uh, the Bosnian Serbs and the Croats. And the, so he's come out of that environment. And, and um, he's often asked, you know, as a Christian... How do you take the anger out of that situation? Mm. And he says, well, you've got to believe in a God of anger. (laughs) And it might sound counterintuitive, but he's saying, well, you need to know about a God who rights all wrongs and who brings perfect justice, Mm. not out of personal animosity, but because he is the just God and will Mm. not the God of all all the earth do what is right. And so actually your belief in God's wrath and God's anger allows you to love even your enemies because you you don't have to right all wrongs and you don't have to and again it's it's this thing I don't have to trust by the powers of my flesh that I need to sort you out I can leave room for God's spirit I can leave room for God's wrath Romans 12. So Romans 12, you know, says, you know, do not get angry, do not avenge yourselves on others, but leave room for God's wrath. Mm. For judgment is, justice is mine, it is mine to avenge. Mm. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, it's mine to avenge. Um, so because there is a God who will perfectly and righteously and fairly 
um, deal out judgment at the end of all things because of all things, all, all those things. Therefore, I can love you now and I can love the non-Christian now. I can love my enemy right now. Um, and actually, do I have room for God's wrath in my preaching? Yeah, I've got a lot of room for God's wrath. I'm, I'm told to leave room for yeah. God's wrath. Um, and what that means is I trust God with the judgment. In the meantime, I can offer good news. Mm. So that's what I'm trying to do mm. in evangelism. Uh, and, you know, and that's, that's why Paul is able to say, look, the love of Christ compels me mm. because I'm convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Um, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again for them. And, and we are therefore ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal to us be reconciled to God. Mm. So, yes, there is wrath, but in this gospel age, the message that we are commissioned with is be reconciled to God. Mm. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Mm. So that love of God compels me and drives me out. Is there wrath of God? Absolutely. But I leave room for that. I leave room for him to do what is right. In the meantime, I'm called to love. I'm called to deliver good news. Mm. Okay. Well, if you wanted to uh, to read Glenn's post on angry evangelism, you just can... Google it. <laughs> just Google angry evangelism. Yeah. <laughs> I hope my picture Number doesn't one. come up. Have you, have you had a look at No, it's not images? your picture. It's not your picture. Okay, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Glenn Scrivener, the angry evangelist. <laughs> oh, so just go to speaklife.org.uk slash TEP to find all the episodes of the Evangelist podcast there. And this one, if you're listening to it recently after this, it's been published, it will be number one. If not, just... Um, you can scroll down to angry evangelism and you'll, uh, you'll find it there. Okay, well, we're going to leave it there uh, at this point. So thanks very much, Glenn. Thank you, Andy. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Let's let's just all have a deep breath. (laughs) Breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth. (laughs) Placid evangelism with Glenn Scrivener. (laughs) Can you put some new age music behind it? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Imagine yourself at the beach. The water's gently lapping against your toes. Your toes have dissolved into the ocean. Sounds a bit Buddhist now. <laughs> my stuff. Yeah, leave it there. <laughs> All right. Hope that sent you to sleep. Good. Yeah, speak to you next time. Bye. Bye.